Warning. The Not Real Art Podcast is intended for creative audiences only. The Not Real Art Podcast celebrates creativity and creative culture worldwide. It contains material that is fresh, fun and inspiring and is not suitable for boring old art snobs. Now, let's get started and enjoy the show. Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to Not Real Art, the podcast where we talk to the world's most creative people. I'm your host, faithful, trusty, loyal, tireless host, Sourdough, coming at you from Crew West Studio in Los Angeles. Man, do we have a great show for you today. We're talking to Michael Massenberg, one and only Michael Massenberg here in Los Angeles. Michael's an African-American artist who was born in San Diego and raised in L.A. and lives in Inglewood. And his pursuit is studies at California State University, Long Beach, Otis School of Art and Design. His career goes back. We're going to get into it. I'm going to properly introduce him in a minute. But I'll tell you what, thank you for tuning in. We do this for you. It's all about you. So thank you for tuning in. Of course, be sure to like this episode and share it and comment. Uh, we appreciate all of that. As always, go to our website, notrealart.com, and check out all the good, healthy stuff we got for you. We're going to be opening up our 2024 artist grant application in June. So be looking forward to that so you can submit to win our 2024 grant. And what else? What else? Well, all kinds of good stuff on the website. So just get over there and check it out. But without further ado, I want to get into this interview with Michael because I've been wanting to have Michael on the show for quite a while. We've known each other for years and he's been bobbing and weaving and so busy and it's been hard to kind of link up and actually sit down for a podcast interview. But finally, finally, the other day, I was able to corner him in his studio and we were able to sit down and solve the world's problems together. And you're going to hear that conversation in a moment. Like I said, I've known Michael for a long time. We've actually worked together on many projects over the years. Great honor to finally be able to sit down with him and, and chop it up with him for the podcast. But, you know, Michael Massenberg is an African-American artist, was born in San Diego and raised in Los Angeles and lives in Inglewood, California. He pursued his studies at California State University, Long Beach and Otis School of Design. Michael began his career at the Watts Towers Art Center, influenced by the Watts Rebellion, the Black Art Movement of the 1960s and the 1992 Los Angeles Uprising. He would develop his social practice through art making, teaching lectures, community organizing, and activism for various organizations and causes. Massenberg's interest is in the historical, cultural, and personal narrative. As an African-American, he's expanded his passion for producing work in Senegal and Cuba and Haiti, Colombia, to explore the African diaspora. Massenberg's art practice fluctuates between painting and collage, photography and assemblage. He incorporated various materials from found objects with traditional approaches. Massenberg has exhibited in galleries and museums, completed private commissions, and worked on public projects throughout the country and abroad. His list of public artwork clients include the L.A. Metro, American Jazz Museum in Kansas City, IKEA Forum in Inglewood. He, man, he's won various mini grants and awards, including the Art Matters Foundation in New York and the California Arts Council. 
He's also recently received a distinction from the Los Angeles Department of Cultural Affairs Individual Master Artist, Cola Grantee. Michael is just one of those special humans. I just can't believe we finally got him on the show. I just so enjoyed talking to him, and I love his work and his art. By all means, check him out at michaelmassenberg.com, Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-M-A-S-S-E-N-B-U-R-G michaelmassenberg.com. So without further ado, let's get into this and hear from the one and only Michael Massenberg. Michael Massenberg, welcome to Not Real Art. Well, thank you so much. Man, this is a gift. Oh, man. Yeah, likewise, likewise. Man, this is the serendipitous nature of us coming together is the theme of your life these days. Pretty I mean, much. Just serendipity after serendipity. And this is one of them. This is one of them. Oh, man. I tell you, I've, been, I've been wanting to sit down with you for a long time, man. We... You know, you and I, we go back a few years. Uh We we connected through our mutual friend, Man One. Yes. Then kind of indirectly through our mutual friend, Overton Lloyd. Uh, Exactly, 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 huh? (laughs) The one and only. caught in the web. Uh (laughs) (laughs) We can't get out. That's it, that's it. And then you and I developed, a, I think, a lovely friendship and and, and working relationship. We've done projects together. Exactly. I've never been to your studio, and then now here I am, finally. Exactly, you would do in in the future, and now the future is here. Here. It's meant so, to be. This is a meant to be moment in time, and I exactly, and I'm so exactly. I'm so grateful, man. I'm so grateful. And you've been traveling the world, man. What's, yes. what talk to me? Like where you been? Let's see. Let's oh, hear. Oh man, it's, I guess you know, I'll give a short version of a travel thing, and I know the reason why I have an interest in travel because I didn't realize, but you know, a lot of people don't travel. Yeah, right. They kind of like get local and stuff like that. They kind of like in the neighborhood and say, which is not a problem. But I think well, how I got involved, wanted to do travel as I got older. Well, because my parents are from North Carolina, from the South. Yep. And so I was a baby born out here in Navy Hospital in Cali, in San Diego, and lived most of my life in the, in the L.A. area. And so during the summers as a kid, my parents would drive across country. So I would see these different landscapes change as a little eight, nine-year-old kid, you know. And I started seeing that going all the way, going all in North Carolina, and then going up to New York. Right. And Jersey, because they have family up there, too. Mm-hmm. And then we come back and drive back, you know. And then, and eventually, we, you know, sometimes we start flying. And then my parents had a, have a fantastic idea. They decided to send me back to North Carolina on a plane by myself. Mm. At that time, I was talking to a friend just, uh, just the other day. They don't do that anymore to have little kids. No, you know? they don't. I didn't realize that. But, but that experience of being on an airplane, going from here to North Carolina, spending a whole summer, for two consecutive years, I was probably like maybe t- nine, 10, 11, somewhere around that age. Young enough not to rebel, you know. Yeah, right. Young enough not not to understand until yeah, I get there. Yeah. Head to Vegas I, instead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, exactly. <laughs> what I realized, it was a great experience because it, it feeds me now yes. to my vision. So I spent the whole summers at both grandparents' house. They both had tobacco farm. Mm. So going way back in the day, so this is, they were so old school, they didn't have tractors yet. I mean, for, for my grandparents. Yeah. They eventually got them years later. Yeah. But when I was there, it was mules with drag, so they raised tobacco. Right. So they had me working in the tobacco field the whole summer. Oh, yeah. That's so I was going work. back and forth between- <laughs> Real work. Grand- yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's what people ask about work, man. Real work was working on that farm. And so anything I do now is not work compared to that. And so that planted a seed in regards to have these different experiences from my- my parents' uh, southern roots, 
And then also being grown up in, in L.A. and seeing how L.A. has been changing through the decades each time as far as people moving in, people moving out and stuff like that. And so as I got older and I started getting involved in the arts, I said, like, I want to start traveling. And then my first major, major trip was, I would say, was in, yeah, it was in, it was actually in a town called Hickapon in Michigan. I'm probably mis- I'm messing up my, my, my Spanish speaking friends, please. Bear with me. Wait, wait, wait. Forgive <laughs> us. Forgive yeah, us. Was, so it was actually outside of Guadalajara. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so it was a sister city of Inglewood. So right after 9-11, like about three or four months after 9-11, I was part of a, a contingency from the city of Inglewood to fly down there for a culture exchange. Just got a chance to see the culture, see the art. And one of the reasons I, I, I got excited about being, I, only, I exhibited there for that particular time, a friend who was running a library has shown me a picture on the wall about Orozco's. He mentioned that that artist's work was in in that city. It's a small city, super small city. I said, oh, I want to see that. So we got a chance to do that, fly down there, and saw the bullfight, saw we was in part of parade. We did all kind of stuff. We would, I never seen so much tequila in my life because that's where, and that was a region where it was growing, you know, and stuff, you know, and then, so that was the first trip like that. And then fast forward some years later, about 2004, I was interested. I did, this is the early years of, of the internet, mm-hmm. you know, when people were saying like, we're deciding like they didn't want to be, they don't want to be touching it. It was like too foreign for some folks. Yeah. Kind of remind me how people are thinking about now about AI, right. you know, so, or any other thing that's been happening the past few years. So I did a Google search about doing a residency, international residency in Africa. Now, given the context of the time, there was no website. Now we have websites that have all the residencies listed and stuff and all the information. Right. That wasn't existent yet. A small little residency popped up and it was on a small website that covered South America, Africa, and Europe. But the United States wasn't part of, the, of their network as far as their, uh, they listed exhibitions, biennales, opportunities, and residency. So I found the site. I went ahead, applied, got accepted. To tell you how early on I applied online, email, but I had to send my physical portfolio all the way across the water. <laughs> and it, it did came back, so it was real. Yeah, right, right, <laughs> it, right. It came back, so I got accepted. And so at that time, I always wanted to do a trip like that, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. And then from there, I went ahead, bought the airline tickets, and and the rest of the thing that was really interesting was that they said they were going to pay for lodging, food, and transportation. And then about like two weeks before I was about to fly out, oh, we regret we're going to have to cancel. I said, what? I done told everybody in the world I'm, I'm going on this trip. So I sent an email saying like, I got a ticket. Is there doing any plans? So so what they said, they were still planning. It was scaled down. So I said, okay, cool. Then I had another problem. I had no money to pay for the things that they were going to pay for. Yeah. And our mutual, another friend that you, who you interviewed a while back, Mona Lisa. Mona Lisa, shout uh, out Mona Lisa. Uh, yes, we love Mona, yeah, Mona no, Lisa. Exactly. <laughs> I, there's a lot of places I, I would not be in a lot of places without, without her. She's been instrumental in a lot of, lot of things I've been doing. She's a gift. She's a gift to God. So I really love her and the family. That's the whole our conversation. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> We're that's doing right. That's part two. <laughs> that's part two. <laughs> and, and so she came out there and said, well, maybe ask for sponsorships and stuff like that. So, okay, cool. There was no GoFundMe made yet. No Kickstarter. None of that wasn't even a thought yet. Yeah, yeah. It was too early in the game. So, okay, cool. So I, so I wrote up a letter, sent letters off, and I sent out emails. I did not get one letter back. Mm. But guess what happened? People had email 
send me, not only send me letters, send me checks. Oh. I think I raised $2,000. Oh, yeah. 2004 on an email submission. And I said, I love this. Yeah. <laughs> so I was all in then. And so I started doing a lot of research and stuff, like a lot of things. The internet started to open up more. So I yep. started like getting more involved. And I didn't have another trip until I went to Haiti in 2011. And then I started to have a focus because I saw, I want to know more about people, places like that. It was a year after the earthquake. And it was pretty significant because it's sort of like, there's all these stories about Haiti that we get. I didn't want to like just react to those stories that we've been told because I know how, I know what the stories that have been told about my neighborhood. Yeah, right. And a lot of it's not true. Yep. So why should I believe the media in yep. that regard? Because I know there's a lot of people say, oh, Inga bad. South Central's bad. You know, Watts is bad. He's like, I never had any issues growing up in the neighborhood. I mean, I know there's things happen, but it happens all over the planet. Yep, you know, yep, There's yep, always yep. good, bad, and evil everywhere. That's right. So you want to see for yourself. You yeah, want to go see to Haiti for yourself. So I was intrigued by Haiti. So I went ahead and got accepted to that. And then in the midst of that, I saw this special by Louis Gates, professor out of Harvard University. He did this thing called, I think it was called Blacks in America, I believe it was. And what he did, he visited Brazil, Cuba, Mexico, and stuff like that. And he also visited Haiti. So I said, oh, let me go check out the Haiti episode. But I ended up watching all the episodes. Mm -hmm. I said, you know what? I think I want to go on this journey. I think I found a path because I have so many questions and so many things I don't know, especially outside the United States, that I need to find for myself. Yep. Because it's about like finding who you are as, as a human being, finding who you are as far as your roots and stuff. And I don't want to like someone to tell me where I can and cannot go. So I said, okay, I'm going to go. So the Haiti trip was the first, first step. And that blew my mind. And because I got a chance to go to Haiti, what I recognize about Haiti, now I understand not only knowing, knowing their true history, also seeing there, I said, like, now I understand why Haiti has so many problems with particularly United States and everywhere else. Because that's the most African country that, that I saw close to the United States. Interesting. Because they had all their traditions. Yeah. You know, and one of the things, like, for instance, their religion, uh, voodoo. You say voodoo, people, people get scared, you know. And I understand because it's like the unknown. But you hear these stories about it's this and that. And they were gracious enough to have us to be able to experience uh, one of the ceremonies and yeah. stuff. And I don't know if it's all full and does everything, but the part that it showed was like, was very related. Like I said, this reminded me of the Holy Ghost Church. Yeah, right. You know, of right. some of the churches I've been to. Pentecostal uh, churches. Yeah. 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 So it had those elements of that. So I gained a lot of respect. And even to this day, there's so much turmoil going on and stuff. And I'm still in contact with friends, and I included some of my friends in some of my projects. Just recently, I did some with self Graphics, and I included one of my friends there as an essential worker and tell her story. So that was exciting, doing putting all these elements together. And so for, since then, parts of Europe, Barcelona that we talked about earlier, got a chance to see God's work, saw The Last Supper, saw the superstar Mona Lisa, not our friend superstar, yeah, yeah, but yeah, the friend yeah. that's on the wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was surprised to see paparazzi type atmosphere of all these people is a snapshot it's like she's been there every day for decades decades yeah, 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 yeah. and there was a whole lot of people to stand around and doing and now we got cell phones with you know with, with cameras it was the most wildest thing so i, I was I, I videotaped that moment of seeing like it was almost like they were the art along with her and we're just amazed said this is the times we live in you know so so being able to go to different areas, different cultures and stuff like that was important because it changed my whole perspective about like being African 
born in America. Yes. You know. So what happens in America, we have three different, I divide in three different Americas. Okay. Uh, there's the native people who was here beforehand. Yep. Yep. You know, Indigenous. Yep. Exactly. And I've been, you know, I've always been studying, especially here in, you know, in, in the LA area, we have the, the Tonga tribes, we have multiple other families and stuff like that. And then also too, you have the people who immigrated here for a better life. They left their previous countries from all over the world to come to for a better life here. And then you have those that were brought here as property that were enslaved. And what which is really interesting people don't really really give credit to, all three of those segments have their own different story. But we're expected to have the same response or the same ideology, the same belief in this one thing. And so what happened to someone, let's say, someone who grew up, let's say, in a, in a small village somewhere, and they went up to go to school, so let's say, I use, say somewhere in Europe, for, for example, and then they come to the United States. They come with a different perspective because of, they hear about the opportunities here. So they're going to be coming here for them to create a life. And so what happens is when they see someone that's already here, and they probably don't understand, well, how come they're not doing well? How come, what's wrong? Are they, are they lazy? Are they uneducated? What's going on? And what happens, you have different circumstances and different experiences that mold people, humanity. Yes, yes. And so, in essence, we start getting separations. We start getting conflict. And so what's happening is people are misunderstanding. And then you start seeing why we are so divided as, as, as human beings on this planet. Yes. And so, so my thing is, like, I want to see who I am in that regards to this whole storyline. And so I started traveling all over the place. Got a chance to go again to uh, Senegal for the second time last year. So it was like you're talking about 18 years. And to go back 18 years later to see the growth and development was happening there. Because I know that the Chinese is deeply invested into the continent. So you see the impact of that. You see the, just the normal things that the growth happens. And of course, you know, that continent has so rich in minerals and gold and diamonds and, and materials that we need for our foams. Yeah, you know? right. And yet... People who have not been to the continent assume there's some people that live in huts because of the stereotype. Yeah, going places like that feel me maybe feel more whole as as a human being. So I think that so I end up applying it to my artwork. And so and so what's happening now after the show in the car, come back home and I start did a, I did another I did a solo show at LACC that was in December and closed in in January called Spiritual Nature, mm. and it was about those experiences. Like so it was in Haiti and Senegal. And then also too, I've been to spend a lot of time in Colombia. And Colombia is one of those countries where we think about cartel. I mean, as far as Americans, we think yeah. cartel, we think about coffee, salsa. And so we think about those things as we know, but there's a lot more than that. Yeah. They have a large, rich resource as far as growing food and stuff like that. It's also one of those diverse cultures of blending in regards to indigenous, Latin, and then you have the Afro connection, you know. And then you have Europeans mixed in. So you have that kind of mixture and stuff. Depending on what city you go to, you see how people move around and how they look and stuff like that. So when I went to the city of Cali, that was the first time I've been somewhere where I kind of like, I blended in. I was like part of the crowd. I guess I didn't look like a tourist because I looked like some of the Colombians. Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. And at that time, I didn't know there was, before that time before I got there, I didn't know it was such thing as an Afro-Colombian because you don't see them in media. You don't see them. Right. You might see them on the soccer field playing in sports, but you don't see them as personalities and, and entertainers like that. Yeah. You will see some of that in Brazil, but they all suffer from the same issues about of classism. Yeah. And so what happened is the darker you are, you're lower down on the totem pole. And so what happens, families start to blend in together so that way they can have a better opportunity. 
Right. And that happens in quite a few of those countries, you know, in, in that region and also the same thing in Mexico. So I started learning about that dynamics and stuff. And then I said, well, okay, I want to find out what traditions, what spiritual practices, what cultural practices are still intact from the people who were brought here. Mm-hmm. I mean, it may not be important to other folks, but it's important to me as far as to have an understanding of uh, how I'm in the world. I know my understanding of how I'm in the United States because they told me. Right, right. <laughs> and those experiences I have and also study and stuff like that. And then you see how it all interrelated because the United States is so connected to so many countries on so many levels in ways that, that may be appropriate or inappropriate. Right. That's a whole nother thing. But the presence is there. And so going to these different places helped me to really find my purpose. Because my thing, I always, always did a work on community, about community. I always did work about my family. I always did work about social and political issues. I always did stuff about history. Because those are the things that, that were lacking in my childhood of understanding growing up. It wasn't until I became a college student that I find out what was really going on. Right. Because, you know, I was too young for the civil rights era and stuff like that yeah. to really know that was going on. Right. Even though I saw some things. Because I saw some parts of this of the Watts Rebellion because when I was a little baby, little kid, I'm on the front porch. I remember my, my eyes remember seeing these Jeeps parked in the center of the street. And our street was like a wide a center divider. We were on the other side of the Harbor Freeway, on the west side of the Harbor Freeway from the, from Watts, like five minutes away. My parents was on 98 and Figueroa, right near Century and the Harbor Freeway. So I remember seeing the Jeeps parking in the middle of the street. And I'm not thinking about like, oh, man, I'm, I'm thinking G.I. Joe's. That was my reference. Right, right, that's probably why I remembered that. I don't know nothing else. But that's I remember seeing that. Carrying those memories from childhood up to an adult, I started seeing and understanding what was really happening, how things really are. And I'm looking for how lanes can be a better place for us. So that's the goal with the artwork. Yeah. Wow. Well, there's so much there that you just shared. I mean, I want to go back, obviously, for any parents out there listening, like, take your kids traveling. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything you just said goes back to what you f- started off by saying, which is your parents put you in a car, drove you around this country, mm-hmm. going to see family, going to see, and then they put you on a plane. <laughs> and then that, that travel bug, that wanderlust, yeah. that sense of curiosity, that bug bit you, and then it propelled you then around the world and it's informing your art today. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, of course, I mean, the innocence of a child, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, like obviously we're all kind of naive and ignorant. We only know kind of what our parents teach us or what the world or school teaches us. And hopefully at some point we all have a day, a moment where our eyes get opened, right? To the truth, you know, and the multiple truths, you know, because there's, there's the rhetoric and the narrative and the, and the mythology, but then there's the truth, the reality of the indigenous people or, Mm -hmm. or the enslaved people or mm-hmm. the so-called pilgrims, you know, or mm-hmm. whatever, right? Mm-hmm. It's a complicated, complicated it is. history of the human experience. It is. You know? It is. And I think artists and educators, especially the artists, because the artists are sort of like the, can easily, and not every artist is falling around, but but a lot of us, especially ones we know personally, we're like the voice of people that, that are around us and stuff. We get impacted. And so we can tell those stories. We can get people to think about stuff, challenge them, maybe even get them pissed off, you know, yeah. or maybe enlighten. Whatever it is to get people to feel. When people start to feel something, then you know you're on a cer- certain path of being able to get some kind of way to go to the next step. 
you know. So I think that I'm so glad and blessed. I could be doing something else. You know, I could have like a career doing other things. I actually had an opportunity to to go in retail management. Mm-hmm. When I went to Cal State Long Beach back in the day, I was a business major. I turned it down, you know. And at that time, I needed a job. Right. It was an opportunity for it to send me, send me somewhere like in Ohio, do, get training and stuff like that, going through the program. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. And at the time, I said I'm not going to do it because I didn't finish my degree yet. Mm-hmm. But I was listed as a, I had a headhunter, you know, so mm-hmm. it was headhunter jobs. I listed them into my resume as far as education, but I did not put a degree thing. So I said like, man, my brain said like, man, don't worry about that, man. Let's go ahead. You know, they're not going to check. Just go ahead and put the put the BA next to it, you know. Right. And my brain was saying like, but I don't want to do this. It's not, you know, I, I need a job, but it's like, uh, nah. So I, so I turned it well, down. Was it for you? You it wasn't for me. Yeah, you had a different I, I, calling I did, on your life. I, did, I wasn't in conscious at the point where it was, because like I said, because I really needed a job. I was like, I have practically, probably, probably during that time, have filed bankruptcy. Yeah. And I have bought, bought property in San Bernardino, three-fourths of an acre, scraped my money together and stuff. But while I was trying to get work out there, I couldn't get no work. Yeah. So I had to come back to L.A. and got a regular job in about five minutes. Because LA had all the jobs. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but it was a good experience for me to go out there in that in that community because it got me to let me know the possibility of ownership, and that's another thing too. All these little experiences help and stuff. So I said, okay, cool. I'm glad. And then one day I said, like, you know what? I want to do art. Let's stop there for a second because that's a big day. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It is. <laughs> Let's not gloss over that. That's exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. And and so take me back. I mean. What happened that day? What was it that day? How did you have that revelation that yeah. he was like, no, 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 yeah. I have a calling to be an yeah. artist? Yeah. What's really interesting is that I'll back up a little, little few sure. years earlier yeah. to give it context. When I graduated from high school, I did not know anybody or anything. I didn't know about art was a was an option. It was something I just did. It was yeah. something I always did as a kid. Right. So I don't even remember when I started drawing. I just know I was the only child. My dad was in the Navy. So I hung around a lot of the adults because I was the only kid of the married couples, I was the only kid a kid that was around yet until years later. I was good about being around a crowd of adults, and then it was time for me to go in my room after homework. There's no TV in your room. There's no music in your room. It was just too early in the stages of as far as of, a, of what we were as, as, as a culture. So I was always drawing and stuff. And then even through middle school and high school, I kind of just floated through. I was real quiet and shy. Now I was talking to who I am now. Um, <laughs> You're not quiet anymore, not quite, brother. Not yeah, I just said I was a, I was a child, a few words, you know. Yeah, yeah. But I have always listened. Right. And then once college advisors said, like, uh, told me I had good GPA, I should apply for college. Okay, I think I can do that. I only applied to one school, and I could have looked at other schools, but I really didn't really thought deeply about like I'm gonna be a career artist. But I saw that art was listed in Long Beach, so I enrolled there. And I ended up taking classes in the art department, which was hard to do at the time. So I took a number of classes, got a whole bunch of C's. It's like, I said, maybe this not be, uh, this may not be for me. And so what happened was really interesting. I had one teacher who was instrumental that took me in. His name was John DeHarris and stuff. And he kind of like mentored me and helped me a lot. So, but by then I was about to go into another chapter. I said like, but I had that class with him. It gave me like the spark, you know. Yeah. But I said, still, I don't know. And I'm opening a business with my dad and I in Inglewood and printed sportswear. So we did that for like about seven years. And then once we closed that up and I mentioned about the house. Yeah. Oh, there's another thing too. One of the last classes I took, 
art class was the called Black Arts. It was taught in the Black Studies Department by the Silvers. In fact, uh, just found out, found out he just recently passed uh, last week, my friend told me. So he was uh, teaching his class on black art. I didn't know anything about not only black art, I didn't know about art, period. Right. I knew about Van Gogh, Picasso, sure. but they weren't from the hood, so like, yeah, it didn't right. matter. Right. It was like, there's no relationship. That's why I saw, I don't remember going to a museum or galleries. I don't remember even knowing there was even such a thing as a living artist. Right. And so he had this book by Samuel Lewis and Ruth Waddy called Black Art, I believe it is. And I looked at the books, I like, oh my God, it's like, what is this? I started getting excited. But again, I was starting to go in a different direction of business right. with my dad. Right. You know? And and then the teacher invited us, invited us to come down to the Watts Towers for a painting class. The Watts Towers is five minutes from my house. I never knew it existed growing up. I go there, I see all these people sitting around painting, listening to jazz in the middle of the night and painting. I like, did I die and go to heaven somewhere? <laughs> so that was one of the last art experience I had while going into the business. So in the business was it starts uh my business was like called mass production. It was my dad and I started and my best friend Keith, we did a mobile DJ service and eventually it turned into imprinted sportswear. And we started selling licensed apparel and we did embroidery and stuff like that. So yeah. we were doing that. So we did that for like seven years. Unfortunately we had to close down. But we had a great business because we, well, the problem we grew too fast, right? You right. know, and and we yeah, didn't know that'll to, that'll kill it too. I mean, yeah, you know, growing, growing too slow, growing too fast, yeah, it's growing too fast. We yeah. did, we we grew like man, we grew fast. Yeah, we grew to multiple locations. I had like six or seven employees. No, about four, four employees. Yeah, employees. Yeah. What was great about the experience it taught me about business. Yeah, right. Of course. And I, I became a business major in Long Beach, but that didn't work because it wasn't about entrepreneurship. It was about business management. Yeah, it yeah, wasn't yeah. enough there. And I realized these books, they wrote this book because it, it's part of their curriculum to create a book because this book doesn't apply to the real world. So right. I was like, so I took a leave of absence and left there. And then in the pursuing years, I started to like, when it closes down, like I mentioned about employment and stuff. So I was in San Bernardino and stuff like that. And then when I came back to LA, I got a couple of jobs and stuff. And one day I was driving, I was took a job driving super shuttle vans, the big blue vans, you know, so going to airport, I did that for about a year. And then one day, something hit me. I was bored in the, in the holding dock before going to the LAX airport. We would sit down and have a coffee break, read newspaper, whatever. And for some reason, some told me to bring a pencil and paper and a psychopedia. For those who know what psychopedia, that's like, <laughs> just, yeah. just, just think about as a printed Google. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 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 A printed Google. That's the best. Now, thank you. I'm going, I'm going, I'm going to use that one. Google book form. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there waiting for going to the airport to pick up customers and then open this encyclopedia. And there's a picture of Nominee Comaneci. She was the gold medalist gymnast. Mm. It was, I think it was Romania, I think it was. Mm, I think so. I'm not sure. So. I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah. We got to check go Google yeah, with that. Yeah, got, got, Google. Got to encyclopedia Look up Nominee and Google. You'll, you'll, you'll get the accurate information. So I drew the picture, and I was surprised that I drew it so well and so accurately because mm-hmm. I have not drawn or thought about art in eight years because mm-hmm. I had this whole different experience. Sure. You know? And I said, like, my love said, I, I think I want to do art. Because mm. I had a whole year of thinking about what my next move because I was driving the vans. I would drive to way down Orange County, down as far as, I drew as far as San Diego if we need to, to take yeah. people from LAX to San sure. Diego if, if their flight was redirected. Sure. So yeah. stuff like that. And I would go far east, go down to, you know, to Ontario Airport or go down to, or go to Burbank or go to Oxnard or something like that. So that was, yeah. and I would do that at night. Yeah. 
So it was good I did it at night because it got me time to be relaxed. Right. And I started thinking about stuff. And so once I did that drawing, I said, okay. So I decided, you know what? Should I go back to, back to Long Beach? Or should I start ground zero and if I can get a, a scholarship or grant and start from ground zero, maybe go to art school. Mm-hmm. So this time I was going to, I looked in a little bit more into art schools mm-hmm. than the first time. And even though that long, long experience was very critical and it set up for a lot of stuff in the future. So I was able to connect the dots with that. Like, okay, now, now it makes sense why I did that, you know, back yeah. then and how that had experience. I decided to apply for a scholarship grant and I got it from the state to go to Otis. And I chose Otis because one of the artists I did like that I saw through the years was Charles White. He was an instructor from back in the day. He passed away in the late 70s. But now we're in the, in the 90s when I was about to go into school. So like I went to only, I went another school, went to visit Art Center. It didn't fit right for me. And I didn't check out any, any other schools. I said, I think before I go to any other school, I said, you know, I think I want to go to Otis. Yeah. They were downtown MacArthur Park area. And I said, I want to go here because of the, that history, that tradition that it had of students. And so there's a whole lot of people that came out under Charles White. I mean, under Charles White would be Judith Hernandez, James Karen Marshall, Richard Wyatt. It's a long list of people that you have no idea that have been impacted by this teacher. And by then, like I said, by the time I got to Otis, he was, there was people, a lot of people I didn't know who he was at the time, you know, as far as because it's a whole new administration and stuff. And so I did that for about a year. And then uh, I had some things happen where I, I could not continue. So I said, like, okay, I'm going to go to the Watchtowers. Remember I told you about mm, eight yeah, years? Yeah. So I walked in the Watchtowers, walked in, was checking out the exhibit, and there was this guy at the front counter, and I started talking to him. Again, I'm just, I'm just quiet, shy kid. Well, I'm an adult, I'm adult now, though. Still the same. Yeah, yeah. I went to talk to him. He said, we started talking. He said, he remember me? I said, I don't remember that guy. Who was this guy? It was John Otterbridge, <laughs> the director of the Watch Towers at the time. Yeah. And so he was the first one that directly put me in a line of this whole art community that was before me. Mm. And so I started talk, going there all the time, start asking questions. And when he said, oh, you need to talk to, let me give you a phone number to Cecil Ferguson. Okay. So I wrote his number down, got just me, Cecil Ferguson. Became one of my greatest mentors along with John Otterbridge and stuff. And I started meeting more people and stuff. Then I started seeing like people like Samuel Lewis and Artist Lane. And, and then I started meeting, the, I got a chance to meet Richard Wyatt. And I met like Charles Dixon, another friend, etc. And then I started, started growing and growing. And then what happened was I started being part of this art family. During this time, I was still working a regular job. I started working at Aaron Brothers. And in fact, that's where I met Overton Lloyd. Aaron Brothers. Shout out. Oh. Yeah. So he's an instrumental in a part of the journey too because there's a segment that gave me, gave, helped me a lot to for this process. So in that, that got me into meeting a whole lot of artists. We have different art communities and stuff like that. And it started growing and growing to where it is now. It's so big, not everybody can cover it. Because back in the day, it was easy for us to go to like a friend's opening. we all be there. But now it's, now when we have an opening, all our friends have openings on the same night. Yeah, right. The whole market is, is, bananas, is, now. is bananas now. It's a whole different world. And I'm glad we're still here to doing it and enjoy it. How lucky are you? Oh, yeah. I've got my blessings. There's a lot of family and friends, especially a lot of friends, and even in, in, in our art world and stuff. Like we, we lost Noni recently. That's still, 
man, you can't re- you can't recover from something when you say, man, she's still supposed to still be here, but but she's not here. We can't make changes on that. There's a whole lot of other people, like I mentioned, Cecil Ferguson, he passed on. John Otterbridge passed on. One of my good friends, Willie Middlebrook, passed on. You know, and there's so many, so many people that's that's on his list. It's, but I said, well, you know, those of here, we're gonna carry the torch of their legacies going forward. So me and friends, we talked about a lot about building some stuff, and then, and then what happens too in the midst of our building? One of the things we we start building was a group called the Collective, and at a time in the early 2000s, there wasn't a lot of opportunities. And if somebody saw you were doing like quote unquote black art. It's like, oh, I don't know if I can sell that. Oh, it's like, we're not interested in whatever. And so, and then there was a few spots, but it wasn't a, enough spots to really accommodate the community that we were. So the beauty was we started creating our own network yeah. within our group. Right. We had one group member who was a key piece and part of the family, the Watkins family that runs WCLC, a longtime civil organization that's been doing stuff for the community for the Watts for, for decades. They have a large art component. And so we became, we were part of that. Then we had another person who was in construction. He had a bright idea announcing to me like he's going to open up a gallery. It was called Backstreet Gallery. And then we had another friend, Deborah McDuff, who used to have a gallery in the early years in the 90s. She decided to open up a museum, a cultural diversity in Carson, in the mall. And then we had another friend, Salongo, who was living in L.A., but also was actually current at that time, was in was Oakland. He would do shows there. And he also ended up doing stuff in Portland. Saw some, we had connection with him. And then he took a step further. He was entering into art fairs in mm-hmm. Chicago and New York. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, we have places to exhibit within the group. Mm-hmm. And so we had a number of group members. We had ages from like early 20s up into like the... 80s. So you got all these different generations in one time and be able to mold that and work together and stuff like that. We became a family. And actually, when we stopped having meetings and stuff, but we still didn't stop working with each other. Almost every project I think about, one of members, friends of my group, from that group, you call them on because you know who they are. They have integrity. They're truly to the art to the game. You know the skill set. You don't have to blink an eye like, oh, let me call so-and-so. I just had just talked to one of my friends earlier today. We were talking about something that was really profound in one of the projects I'm working on and stuff that I, uh, some information I needed. So it was top secret. So the plan is that in the next year you guys will hear about the project. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Stay tuned, people. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> more to come. More yeah, to come. More to come. Michael, you said that phrase, you know, black art or black artists. Yes. Okay. So, you know, let me be clear, right? Sure. Like you and me are humans. Exactly. Right. Okay. As far as I'm concerned, you're an artist. You're not a black artist. You're an artist. I appreciate okay? that. But it seems like we're living in a time where people are being so specific about labels and words. And if you don't say it quite right or whatever the yes. case, then you might yeah. upset somebody yeah. or whatever the case yeah. might be. Yeah. But you tell me, man, I mean, how are you feeling and thinking about what's what's happening with so-called black art and black artists? I mean, like, what is that about? Well, that's one of the best questions ever. I'm glad you asked me that. One of the things I learned later on as I got older, because I was I told you I was a business major, it was emphasis in marketing. One of the principal things that, that makes a product to sell better or to be able to control it, whether it's high price or low price, is to put labels on them. So what's happening, being in the United States, we are all products. I think that's one of the things that got us so segmented into, like I said, we're so divided now. Now we're, now we're 
divided in multiple sexes now. And so what's happening is when you create a division, the group that you're that could be discriminated against or marginalized, they can be all clumped lumped into one spot. And then also what can happen too is the group also can be really interesting is that they will have to fight so hard for them not to be marginalized that they almost have to create a separate section for them to survive, to be acknowledged. And so what happens with that, you have two different energies that's happening. I'm, I'm thinking it's on the fly. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when I'm looking at it, it's like, again, I mentioned about humanity. So, and and uh, the more I travel, the more I see humanity. Yeah. But I think what's, what's the great thing about humanity is like we all had different nuances, experiences, and locations on this planet, which should be celebrated. But what happens is there's certain entities that will come and explore and will kill and steal and just overtake stuff. And that messes up the, the humanity tree in regards to that. So what happens is, you know, like how people get enslaved, you know, like they can be enslaved by their own people and sold or given to the oppressor, you know, whoever that oppressor is. And so what happens is like we start having these different things that's kind of breaking this down. Like we're living right now in the most interesting time. Right now, it can be the best breakthrough or the best breakdown because we have so much tools now before us. People able to communicate. I talk to friends from all over the world now. So by having these labels can be hard to deal with at times. For instance, I don't like the idea of celebrating Black History Month. To me, if someone is of my color, this should be celebrated like every day of the year, like a lot of a lot of areas. But also too, there's Women's Month, Pride Month, Pride whatever, Month. Yeah, you know, it's right. like it's so many months. It's like, and I think the thing because of where we are on the planet, we're, we're going to adopt to the environment and live differently because we're because we have long traditions of that. United States had wiped out the long tradition because it was about commerce. And I believe that in my, from, from my vantage point, from my opinion, it's only my opinion, and, and, but it's something that can be discussed is like, because we were all segregated into these pockets, it makes it easier for the powers to be to manipulate yeah. and cause dissension. Because when you think about, let's say like you and I, let's say we live in the same neighborhood, we suffer from the same conditions. We not, we, normally, we're not going to be fighting, we're going to be working together. Yeah. But they're going to say like, well... Say like, uh, Scott, you're not as pretty as Michael. What do you mean I'm not as pretty as Michael? Mm-hmm. You're not as tall as, you know, or you this and that, you know, whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. By the way, for the record, I am not as pretty as you. <laughs> just for the record, okay? Let's just, let's just state that for the record. <laughs> so it's the kind of thing, we should celebrate all the differences. Yeah. But the difference because of our geography yeah, yeah, on the yeah. planet. But what happened is there's a certain entity, a certain energy that wants to dominate and control. And because of that, it's creating all this thing with the common people, you know, because there's people who are suffering from the same conditions and they're fighting each other. And people say, it's this, like, for instance, people say black on black crime, whatever. Well, there's layers to all that. It's, it's not because just because they're black, but because of proximity, because of actual experience with each other and stuff that whatever it is. And then when we talk about, when we think about other cultures, there's their own cultures fighting each other yeah, and right. killing each other. Yeah. But because some things get highlighted and labeled, mm-hmm. you know, then we say like, and even though it can happen more in certain communities because of the cluster and stuff, mm-hmm. and also some things are kind of like, 
let be, you know, yeah. or help to ed- edge on to it, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's so many things. I don't look at on something only on Facebook. I'm always asking questions. I'm always yeah. looking for different yeah. layers and stuff. Well, and that's the artist's mind too, right? Because, I mean, you know, being an artist, I mean, my experience anyway, artists are, yeah. they see better than most people. <laughs> they yeah. critique better than most people. Yeah. They're truth seekers, you know, yeah. And, yeah. and not trying to buy into some mythology, but trying to get to the truth mm-hmm. of a thing. And it's interesting what you're saying right now, because it kind of goes back all the way to something you were saying earlier at the very beginning about the power of travel. Because, you know, I once heard, this was years ago, I don't know what it is now, but I, years ago I heard the statistics, one out of three of Americans have a passport, okay? Yeah. One out of three Americans, wow. okay, that was nothing. Yeah. You know, then it's probably even worse now. Yes. I mean, but travel, when you get out of your comfort zone, when you get out of your yes. town, you get out of your state, out of your country, and you go look around, and you really see, and you really critique what you're seeing, you have to recognize that we're all humans. It's humanity, yeah. Yeah. you know? It's interesting, right? Because, I mean, if you were able to get up high enough, like, you know, mm-hmm. astronauts, they talk about from space, you know, like yeah. when you see the mm-hmm. earth, like you realize mm-hmm. like how fragile we mm-hmm. are. Mm-hmm. But like when you get up high enough, you get to see the mosaic that is the human experience and that is the experience that we're having on this planet. That to me is just so critical and travel can bring that perspective, yeah. you know, because in, until we get that perspective, we're just going to look at each other side-eyed buying into some bullshit political battle or yeah. whatever, you know? Yeah. You just remind me of a moment when I was in Barcelona in 219. I went there not knowing anybody, but I was trying to reach out to certain artist groups that wasn't able to make any contact. So, hey, I'm still, I know where I want to go, so I'm going to go, go visit those spots. I'll do that. So the first night in there, I was walking to my room. Then I saw this empanada shop was open. So, oh, cool. I love empanadas. Yeah, Let me go over me there. Too. <laughs> I know, huh? You can't go wrong. So I walked in there. There was this young lady sitting there. She was reading the book. And I walked up to her and said, like, uh, oh, hello. My name is Michael Massaber. I'm, I'm an artist from the United States. She looked up and her eye just lit up. She said, I'm an artist too. She was a young Argentinian who was living there, working there at the shop, working multiple jobs. And we started talking, having these conversations and stuff about art, about, she was sharing me about Barcelona, talk about her growing up. She has a degree in art, but she wasn't able to really do art at that point in time. And then eventually she started bringing her sketchbook and stuff. We started talking and stuff. And, and then she'd tell me places to go. So every night I would come back from my seeing all the stuff in, the, in Barcelona I'll come back and have my finishing dinner, eating empanadas with, with her. And it just be, it's funny, but it was, be, it was late. It was quiet. It was just me and her just talking until she closed. How <laughs> beautiful is that? It was a beautiful moment. And so it was really interesting. So we exchanged information for Instagram. And so we follow each other and stuff. Since then, we've been in communication. And actually, I want to interview her. Uh, her name is Lula. What she's doing now, she's doing tattoo. She has a tattoo business doing mm-hmm. art. Mm-hmm. And she's traveling all over the place. I think she's maybe back in Argentina now. Mm-hmm. I think last I saw she was she was in Argentina. I don't know if it was temporary, whatever. We need a chance to talk. But that was one of the most beautiful experiences, mm-hmm. just random, yeah. running to someone. Fortunately, she was able to speak English. Yeah, you know? right, right, you know? right, right, so, right. So we have a different story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is another thing about, you made about traveling. We're not taught to multiple languages. No, no, no. We're Unless it's in our homes. Yeah. It's, it's like, and so what happens is when yeah. I go to other places, even someone who could be in the streets, they know three languages. Yeah, right. You know? Common. That's common. That's, that's common. Yeah. You know? And I can understand that for them. Yeah. It's like the goal is to go to the English countries because that's where the opportunity is. 
we're in an English speaking country and this way we're trying to stay alive. Yeah, 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 yeah right. <laughs> literally, you know, either financially or mm-hmm. otherwise and stuff or literally. So that was one of those moments that really lit me. But I told her, I said, like, I don't have any tattoos, but when, we, when, I, when I see you in the future, I'm going to get a tattoo from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right on. Because it meant so much to oh, me that's cool. yeah. who she is and who, I mean, so, so yeah. Well, and you know, and it's such a travel, is such a powerful thing. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. thinking about trips I've made in countries that are, how should I say, not as developed or whatever, mm-hmm. maybe more mm-hmm. impoverished or whatever. But mm-hmm. I mean, the point mm-hmm. is, yeah. is that they might not have the consumer goods mm-hmm. or they may not have the money Mm. that America claims to have or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you know what I see in a lot of these countries? I see smiles. Oh, yes. I see happiness. Yes. Because life is about family and life is about friends. Exactly. And life is about that food that I got because you know, I'm hungry and I didn't have food yesterday and I appreciate it. Man. You know, and oh, by the way, I don't have shoes, but I'm still going to make a ball out of a bunch of tape and I'm going to go out in that dirt field with rocks and pit hole, you know, holes or whatever. I'm going to go play a game of soccer with my friends mm-hmm. with this mm-hmm. homemade ball I got. Mm-hmm. You know, happy, happy, happy yeah. people. And here, here we supposedly, we have everything, the richest country in the planet in, in mental uh, depression, mental health, exactly. suicide, gun exactly. violence. I mean, it's everywhere. Yes, yes. It's, it's so true. Another situation where I mentioned about Colombia, what helps me a lot in Colombia the friend I was able to meet, she speaks English. And so we created a project called Future Dreams. It was a proposal originally submitted through a nonprofit and didn't get funded. And so I asked her about any ideas. And she said, like, she came with an idea for teenage mothers on art, for therapy, for family stories, entrepreneurship for or just the pure fun of it and stuff so we wanted to kind of bring that to the table so we was able to put that together and we were talking after the grant wasn't accepted we realized we can do it ourselves so i had art supplies because i was teaching classes nonprofits, charter schools parks for forever so i had an abundance of art supplies yeah that I, didn't, I didn't have to think about buying and she said she'll find a cultural uh, she'll find a location she found a cultural center which turned into another bigger organization that serves that population from 20, 20 students to 100 in that week time we were working on that. So she said, you can stay with the family. So I stayed with the family, her kids. I got a chance to meet the mother, her father and stuff, her sister, some of her friends. And it was so great. And so that was in 217. And the last time I went was in 221 when we kind of like went to update what we've been doing. And again, with the family and stuff. And then the kids are growing up and stuff. In fact, her young daughter, who didn't know me for my first trip because she was a baby in the crib, we call her Little Princess. She was walking around like, who is this? Who is he? What is he saying? <laughs> yeah, That's yeah. probably what she was telling her mom. Like, who is he? What is he saying? So, right. you know, mom had to explain stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. She was trying to figure out. I said, I said, I was saying, she don't remember me because I was talking baby language, Google Gaga to her when she was in the crib. Yeah, yeah. So that's what she last saw me. So I understood. <laughs> Little princess and, and her mom and I, we went across, across the country to go to visit this black township called Palenque which had a lot of those histories that we just talked about earlier. And so we had a great time coming back. And so one of the days before I left, she came into the room and she opened her school book. She started pointing to words. She was learning English in school 
and she's going she was teaching me Spanish words and she was she decided she was going to teach me during that day and so I said man I wish I had a, had a camera to take a picture of that moment uh, and so and but, she wanted to talk to you exactly she wanted to, you know she yeah and so since that time I asked her mom to send me some t-shirts that we had printed up so she sent me the t-shirts and a couple of the books that I had published and there's a little note saying that that she's going to teach me Spanish when I come back she wrote a note to me personally I said, How precious is that? And see, those are the kind of things yes. that gives me hope for humanity. Yes. Not to say it didn't. Yeah. But from my personal experience, right. there's been a lot of right. hard things to deal with. Right. You know, not only things with situations, but some things where I could have lost my life. And it wasn't from the community. It was based upon, you know, interaction with police. All it takes is like one wrong thing. It could have been a couple times I would have to go through that. What I think about like how precious life is, a moment things can change really bad, really quick. And that's why like when I travel, I travel to where I'm going with respect. I don't go in with entitlement, you know. And that's what happened with some Americans that they, they would go to places they they expect to get the same thing they get at home if they're privileged. And I mean the, most of the world's not privileged. I mean there's people that are, but they may not live near the people in the community. We can go to people who are privileged really easy. We can be there in five minutes because it's pockets all over. But in other areas it's a little different. Yeah, so it's fascinating when I think about all this, this whole journey, and I'm just glad to you know, be able to be here and really be able to share those things because not everybody does. And so what I try to do is, if the people before me can't share their stories, I want to share their stories too. Michael Massenberg, I tell you what, thank you for coming and sharing your story with me today on Not Real Art. This is a gift. <laughs> we just ran into each I other know. today. I, the best things, I guess, impromptu, spontaneous. That's how we create spontaneous. We, 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 we start, I think we started talking about serendipity. This This was meant to be, my friend. This, Yeah, exactly. Before we go, man, I yes. just, just want to thank you for being my friend. Oh, no, likewise. I want to thank man. you for all that you do for me, for us, for the world, for this community, yeah. for the world. Yeah. I want to say how grateful I am to know you, how grateful I am. Man. to have worked with you man uh i am so you give me hope you give me hope too and yeah. i look forward to yeah. the future that we have together yes you make the world a better place you make me a better human brother thank you very much thank you i think one of the things about this art thing i have more friends in the arts that are from we talked about all the different cultures and i don't know how it is in other people's profession but the artists that i know across the city of all of our different cultural stuff we have, like where we come from, our skin, it doesn't even matter, or language, but the art friends are having it. If the world was like my art friends, we wouldn't have any of these, a lot of these issues. That's true. If any issues come up, we know how to deal with them. We yeah. know how to work with it. We yeah. know how to, okay, this is not the right thing to do. We can, we can minimize it. Man, it wasn't for art. I don't know what I'd be thinking about the world. No, I know, man. And, you know, and, and art is the salve, right, yeah, that yeah. the world needs, you know, to yeah. help heal some wounds. And, yes. And the medicine that we need to heal the, some wounds. I mean, and, you're, yes. and I, and my experience in the arts and working with artists over the years is exactly that. I've always found people in the arts to be, generally speaking, incredibly empathetic people, mm -hmm. incredibly compassionate people, mm -hmm. respectful people, yeah. smart, yeah. funny. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I know, all of it. I know. All uh, that stuff all that the it, world needs, you know. All of it. All of it. 
you know, I got the best job in the world. Where I get to come and hang out with you, my oh, friend. Oh man, I'm in the belly of the beast right now. Yeah, in the yeah, pretty much. <laughs> this, is, this is amazing, man. Yeah, this pretty is much. Amazing. You, you see in the raw. You see, it's like this is not the polished version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, right. It, well, they say I, no, I'm you glad never. It, I'm glad it wasn't uh, uh, on TV. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know the the old joke about you. They say you never want to see how sausage gets made. But you know what? I disagree. I think this is. I think this is looks delicious no matter what. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Yeah, that, like. I said, said this is meant to have this thing right now like i said all the things we do when we're on our path it leads us to this yeah that's right that's why there's no mistakes in this that's right you know that's right it's yeah. true yeah it's true brother well i'm glad it all led me to you you have a beautiful day <laughs> yeah man i feel real good i'm i'm shoot i'm not even hungry ready to go I'm to full, work now. <laughs> I'm, I'm, full, I'm, I'm, I'm full of joy now <laughs> that's it yeah. me you and me both brother yes, you and yes. me both all right my friend okay pleasure next time next, right, time next time take care thanks for listening to the not real art podcast please make sure to like this episode write a review and share with your friends on social also remember to subscribe so you get all of our new episodes not Real Art is produced by Crew West Studios in Los Angeles. Our theme music was created by Ricky Peugeot and Desi Deloro from the band Parlor Social. Not Real Art is created by We Edit Podcast and hosted by Captivate. Thanks again for listening to Not Real Art. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode celebrating creative culture and the artists who make it.